How good is it to be reminded that uh, God's faithfulness continues? Uh, his faithful, His faithfulness is new every morning. Certainly, uh, we are in a space that we did not anticipate finding ourselves in. Here, it's very lonely here at church this this morning with just uh, just the five or six of us on hand, um, and to be to an empty room again. Had my parents come down and visit. I uh, hadn't seen them since Christmas last year. And then suddenly on, on Friday, you know, their second day here, this uh, lockdown kicks into place. And, and so they're back home and, and uh, yeah, they've left and, and kind of you miss them. This is not how anyone saw anything happening. So this reminder that David has just, just shared of God's faithfulness through it all is really timely. And I think this psalm that we're looking at today will speak into that as well. This month, um, I've been trying, I do have to say pretty unsuccessfully, but I've been trying to get back into riding my bike for a bit of exercise. Um, doing so had really fallen by the wayside until I kicked back into it again, you know, 1st of February. Um, but before that, my, my last ride had been you know, early October. Now, there was a reason why that was my last ride. I think at that time, I was also trying to kick back into the habit of exercise. So I hadn't been doing anything much physically for a while. And while we were still living at our old house, I suggested to Cohen, how about we ride to what would become our, our new home and explore around there and see what kind of tracks and opportunities there were around there. But what I hadn't factored in was that our new house was on a hill. Now, it's not a major hill. It's nothing like, you know, Mount Buffalo or Mount Hotham or, or any of those crazy places that serious cyclists ride. But by the time I got to the top of our new street, I was, <laughs> I was dry retching. Uh, there, there were people out in their yard gardening who obviously heard me and called out to check if, if I was okay. And I assured them that I was, that I was just seriously lightweight and, and unfit. Um, and so then when we got home again, uh, the bike went away again until this month. Well, at the moment in the Life Out Church together, we're looking at these songs of ascent, these psalms that the ancient Israelites would, would sing as they walked up the road to Jerusalem to attend a festival at the temple. And my reflection is that ascents are hard work. It doesn't matter what's at the top of the hill. It can be a long, slow, tough slog to get there. I mean, talk to someone who was just starting a new business as COVID first hit. Talk to a couple who are recovering from infidelity in their marriage. Talk to a young adult who's trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Talk to a widow adjusting to living in an empty home and sharing an empty bed. Talk to the parent of a child with a disability. Talk to the person trying payment by small payment to get themselves out of debt. It's tough going to get to the top of the hill. Sometimes you even question if there is a top to even get to or if it's going to be worth it to get there. Ascents are hard. And so we come to today's song of ascent. It's one that recognizes this reality, is realistic about it, and yet offers hope to us in the midst of it. It's Psalm 126. 
And so let's read that together. Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Let's pray together. God, as we approach this psalm, and doing so with this recognition that life does not always go how we want it to, with this recognition that there is a long, hard, slow climb to the top of the hill. With that recognition, God, may we be mindful, uh, may we be struck afresh by your faithfulness and your presence with us. And may the words of this psalm speak into us, into the situation in which we find ourselves in, to point us to you, to remind us of who you are, to continue to express our faith and our trust in you. We ask that you'd speak to us through your word. Amen. The other weekend, you probably remember it, there was a bucket load of rain in, in town, um, which was great, except for us, the property next to us on the high side of the hill is a construction site. And in all of the rain, just a whole lot of dirt from next door ran under our fence, through our garden, filled up the drain and then spilled out into our pool. Now, part of the whole reason we moved our house was to be in a place with a pool in the, in the warm weather, and especially if we're locked down. And yet our pool has been an absolute mess for a couple of weeks. Thankfully, though, the, the builders have been amazing. Um, they took responsibility and they've gone above and beyond anything that I expected in their efforts to clean it all up and, and get it right again. Every day I go outside and I just, I just kind of gaze in wonder at, at their efforts uh, and seeing the fruit of their labour to restore our pool and our garden. It's not quite there yet, but it's, it's nearly, and I just stand and look at it with such appreciation. I'm so thankful and glad for what they are doing to restore things to how they were. In a very small way, that's what Israel experienced. Due to their unfaithfulness to God, they ended up a defeated nation and carried away in exile to, to pagan Babylon. And they lived there for, for 70 years, 70 long years of separation from home and in a foreign culture. And after that time, after 70 years of exile, then in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. He says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And so any of his people among you may go. You may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
the God who is in Israel, in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. After 70 years in exile, they could go home. And while King Cyrus may have seemed to be the instigator of their return, Israel understood that it was the Lord God who was the one who made it happen, that it was God who restored them to their homeland. And when Israel considered this, as they did in this psalm, as they, as they stood and gazed in wonder at what God had done, they were so thankful and so appreciative and so glad for God's work in restoring them home. It felt like a dream. You know, the, the seemingly impossible had happened and it was like they, they had to pinch themselves to know that they were awake and that this really was real. There were songs and there were laughter where, where before there had been lament. And God was praised, both by Israel themselves and also by the surrounding nations who could observe what God had done for them. Maybe you have a moment like this in your own life. Something incredible where you look back and you clearly see God's hand at work for your restoration, for your healing, for your joy. Where something that looked dire and helpless was suddenly turned around. It might be an extended period of unemployment before the perfect opportunity just lands in your lap. It might be the restoration of a friendship that you thought you had lost because of misunderstanding and miscommunication. It might be a new doctor prescribing just the right medication for your child who you have battled with for years and suddenly they are transformed before your eyes. There are are human actors in these experiences, but behind them is the sovereign God who is directing things and you see his hand at work in them. And so like Israel, when the Lord restored your fortunes, you were like those who dreamed. Like Israel, you recognize the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So the first half of this psalm focuses on what God has done in the past, bringing that to remembrance and to to then likewise remember the joy that has been experienced as a result of it. These are the good moments to hold on to and to celebrate. But in the second half of the psalm, it it kind of turns. While the first half looks back to joy previously experienced, the the second half is looking at the hard climb to the top of the hill that is in the present reality, that's in the foreground right here, right now. The the present is, is dry and barren like the Negev Desert. And this could be a a reference to a a literal drought that Israel were experiencing, or it could be using that imagery figuratively. But either way, the cry is there for, for streams of water to be flowing in this desert space, to bring life and beauty and healing and abundance once more, to restore their fortunes. And so we can, we can read this second half in, in two ways. The, the first way is we can read it that um, they remember that God has acted in their past to restore them. And so now they are crying out for God to do it again. So for the Israelites, reflecting that God had brought them out of their exile and restored their fortunes you know, to bring them back into Jerusalem, is that that's now a prompt for them to now cry out to God 
in the same way that he would act similarly in the dry, hard place that they now find themselves in. Likewise, we can remember what God has done for us in the past, in the big things and in the small things, and so to cry out for God to act in such a way again in our current circumstance. As Eugene Peterson has says it, that what we have known of him, we will know of him now in what we face. So that's one way we can read this psalm. The, the second way to read it is to say, God, you have restored us this far. And for that, we overflow with joy and with thankfulness. But God, keep on restoring us to the point of fullness or completeness. For the Israelites, this was to recognize that God had restored them to Jerusalem as he set them free from their captivity in exile. But in Jerusalem, the walls were torn down. The temple was in ruins. Therefore, it's for them to pray for the ongoing work of that restoration, for Jerusalem to be complete again. He's brought them so far, and now it's to pray for that restoration to continue. Like our pool, you know, it's, it's restored so far, and now it's trusting that it will be brought all the way to restoration. There might be a situation in your life much more serious than our pool where, where this resonates for you. Your mental health is, is more or less under control, but you just long to be medication-free and still be okay. You're talking again to that sibling where things had fallen apart, but you wish it was back to the easy relationship that it used to be. You're back at work after being off on stress leave, but you know that you're still fragile and you just want to be able to relax and enjoy your job again. So that's the, the second way we could read this psalm. And either way, either uh, reading and, and flow of it, however we read this second half of the psalm, and either way is legitimate, either way we find ourselves currently in a hard place. The ascent to the top of the hill from where we now are is a long, slow, hard slog, and we want God to act for us in it. If you're in such a hard place, then you, you don't need me to tell you about it. You know it better than I. And you want hope and encouragement to get through it. You want to know that you will get to the top of the hill. You want to know that when you get there, that it will be worth it. And that's what this song of ascent offers to you, to us. This second half it echoes the joy of the first half, but rather than looking back and remembering it, it looks forward in anticipation of it. But it's also real about the journey to get there. It just so happened this week as I was studying for and thinking about this sermon that I stumbled across, across this quote from writer Sue Monk Kidd, and it really speaks into this place. She says, We seem to have focused so much on exuberant beginnings and victorious endings that we've forgotten about the slow, sometimes tortuous unraveling of God's grace that takes place in the middle places. This is important because while we can read here in one breath about the sowing and the reaping, I mean, that, that's not a quick process. 
The Israelites, for instance, were in exile for 70 years before they were restored to Jerusalem. There is a long in-between time. There is a long middle place. And we can't skip over that as much as we might like to. And this middle place, it's a, it's a time of uncertainty. I've been out to, to Alistair's farm a couple of times and, and each, time he takes, each time I go out there, he gets me to jump in his truck and he drives me around the fields and tells me about what's going on. He tells me about what he's planted here, but that he's not sure that the soil was quite prepared as much as it should be, so not sure uh, how that's going to go. Or he tells me about how he needs a certain amount of rain in a certain amount of time frame, oh, a certain amount of water, uh, watering to go on. But he's waiting on repairs to his irrigation system. So it's going to be a couple of weeks late and so that's going to impact things and he's not sure how that's going to work out. Or how he just needs some sun for a few days to, to really just round out the harvest, but, but the forecast is not looking great. Then he might talk about how this tractor that he's counting on has just broken down or, or how the harvest when it comes just hasn't been as big as he was hoping on it and banking on. Now it might sound in, in having said all that that Al's not a very good farmer and, and I, I don't want to imply that at all because in fairness to, to him I've only shared the, the negative things that he's told me and, and probably realistically I've made some up as well. But any farmer I talk to shares similar stories, similar struggles. That time between sowing and reaping, that's a time of waiting. It's a time of hard work, of uncertainty, of doing all that you can and yet also recognising that so much of the outcome is ultimately out of your, your control. You can't rush it or make it happen. All you can do is wait for the harvest. But in that waiting, there is hope. Look at verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with joy. Will reap with songs of joy. We don't know when that will be. We don't know what that will look like. We don't even know realistically if it will be in our lifetime. But let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. For as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. The first half of the psalm then reminds us that God is good and sovereign, present, faithful, mighty and able to save completely. The second half of the psalm would have us hold on to these truths as we wait to see him surely act in such ways again. The God who is with us and acting for us in the exuberant beginnings and in the victorious endings, he knows all about the long middles. And think about the life of Jesus. His birth was marked by, by a star in the heavens and was announced by choirs of angels. He was recognized as the fulfillment of prophecy and as a, the baby who was born king. I mean, talk about an exuberant beginning. And then 30 years of obscurity. 
30 years of almost complete silence about his life. Then when he starts his work of announcing and inaugurating the kingdom of God, um, for those three years he faces increasing doubt and antagonism against him. Multiple times his life was at risk. He could have moments of you know, great success in his ministry that were then like immediately followed by criticism, doubt, stupidity, rejection, unrealistic expectations and frustrations. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he despaired so hard that he sweat drops of blood. And then, death. Dying on a cross, mocked, ridiculed, betrayed, deserted. This was a long middle place that looked like failure and defeat, where there was all sorts of pain and suffering. But it was because he went through this middle place that he experienced the victorious ending. He rose again to life, ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. From there, he and the Father sent the Spirit into his followers as a foretaste and as a guarantee of all that is to come, the new, eternal, full life that we have in Christ. Jesus is no stranger to the hard work of ascent. He's no stranger to the long, slow, tortuous middle place. He knows the experience. And so he doesn't abandon us in it, but he walks with us through it on to the other side. So the hope of this psalm is that while we may find ourselves in the middle of the hard climb, the hope of it is that that is not where we will stay. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, they will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. God will see us through. His faithfulness is new every morning. So keep looking to him in hope. I lift my eyes up. That's how we started this series. Keep our eyes fixed and looking up to to God. Keep looking to him in hope as we continue in the struggle in the in-between time. Let's pray. God, as we pray, I want to I want to thank you for all the great things you have done in our lives. I want to thank you for all the ways in which you've restored, the ways in which you've healed, the ways in which you've brought abundance and and salvation and life to us. We don't want to forget those things. And so we started our time together declaring, you know, hallelujah for all you've done. That is our heart this morning, God. We want to give you thanks and praise uh, as the Israelites did for, for what you have done when you've restored our fortunes. So we celebrate. But God, I also want to pray for for then those who who are not uh, in that space of seeing you at work at the moment, but are instead in that middle hard place. They're still journeying up the hill. And with them, God, I want to cry out, just as you've done in the past, 
restore now. Just as you've brought us so far, keep on working, God, to bring it to fullness and completeness. I thank you that in the midst of the middle place that that you are not just this distant, impassive God who, who doesn't know or care or understand what that experience is like because in Jesus, you have experienced it with us and for us. And so we look to him. We look to him who endured such things for the joy that was then set before him. And so, God, may you prove your faithfulness new every morning. As we look to you, may we see you at work. As we wait from having sown our tears, as we wait to harvest the songs of joy, may we be aware of your presence and your goodness and your care and your concern and your acting even in this space. God, may we express our faith and our trust in you in all that we experience, whether it's positive and joyful and uplifting, whether it's hard and difficult and a trial. In all things, may we look to you, trust in you, hope in you. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.